You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. I think it's fair to say that last week was one of the more unique, certainly one of the busier weeks for law enforcement here in the Napa Valley. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as the dust is beginning to settle and we have a much clearer picture of the events that took place last week and really what it means in the broader scheme of things. We're going to talk about it today with my guest, Napa County District Attorney Gary Lieberstein. Gary, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Always good to see you. Good to have you here. Certainly it was, or at least seemed to the public, as a uniquely busy week in terms of what was going on. Well, it was certainly unique, Jeff. Um, I think you and I talked briefly off the air, and I said it was just kind of a, really just a crazy, bizarre, random set of different circumstances coming together. I mean, they're not, I don't really think any one situation was related to the other. It just was um, something that we haven't seen. I don't think it makes makes should make people think Napa is suddenly less safe to live, as I said, because these were all just so unrelated to each other. Right. I mean, I said to somebody, and I, I think I may have said it on the air in another conversation, that in fact, really, the issue wasn't a law enforcement issue. We should have had a statistician on because it was really the confluence of things that just happened in a four to five day period. Well, sure. And, and remember, it's not even just, I mean, some things happened. Other things were uh, discovered, but they probably, you know, happened days or weeks, weeks before. Ago. Right. I want to talk about the first one of the things that really happened during the course of, of those four or five days, and that was the officer-involved shooting that took place in Alta Heights. And and that really was, in some ways, the most significant, arguably, of, of the events. May not have gotten the most national coverage, as one of the others did, but certainly for the community, it was one that, that really made people sit up and, and take notice sure and we, we can pretty much talk generalities Jeff sure. because as you can imagine the investigation is still underway and and there's dual investigations between you know the the sheriff's office or the police department and and you know the the major crimes task force which is always called out or most always when there's a major crime and that involves uh, law enforcement from all different agencies uh, you know sheriff's deputies working side right. by side with in this case, it was in the Napa Police Jurisdiction, Alta Heights. Uh, we had uh, several uh, DA investigators on scene. Uh, my chief investigator, uh, my, my chief uh, district attorney, uh, was actually there till about 1.30 in the morning because she sits in on various interviews. Um, because if you recall the process, uh, we have a very independent process of, of law enforcement. Um, we independently review whether or not uh, laws were broken, and in this particular case, because there's an officer involved and the person that was shot uh, is deceased, uh, our sole um, jurisdiction and, and, and sole responsibility will be to examine whether or not the officer acted lawfully or, you know, the converse of that, if the officer did anything that was illegal under the law. We, we don't look at uh, civil consequences, whether procedures were followed. We don't look at administrative uh, aspects of it. That's something the police do independently. Um, our uh, our investigation has no significance whatsoever, whether there will be a civil suit, whether there's whether it's successful or not. Again, it's strictly whether or not a, a crime was committed uh, uh, by the officer, and that's and really the converse of that. Did the officer act lawfully? Because um, you know, I can kind of go over some of the main parameters of the law, but, you know, we don't... Well, let me ask you this first. Sure. There is, a, a, 
the sheriff's department is the investigative agency in this. It's not the Napa PD because they were involved. So the sheriff's department is, is the lead investigation, as I understand it. To what extent do they work with your office and who does what? Well, again, we, we work independently, but we do work side by side. Um, as you as you stated, the Napa Police Department, it happened their jurisdiction. Um, they don't have to turn it over to another agency. Uh, they often make that choice to you know, try to remove any appearances of impropriety or impartiality. Um, so they, they request that the sheriff come in and take the lead. That does not mean that there aren't still Napa police officers involved in investigating or interviewing witnesses because part of the process is, is, you know, first is trying to determine what happened. That includes trying to find any people that may have witnessed it, heard things, saw things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you can imagine, uh, the sequence was probably uh, very brief in time. Um, and, you know, there may or may not be direct eyewitnesses. There were certainly media reports of people that heard things. Right. Um, when it gets into interview of the officers involved and, and ultimately the officer that is determined to have fired the, the shot or shots, um, part of the protocol is that we have a district attorney investigator that's actually side by side, in this case with the sheriff's investigator, while the questions are being asked. And they, you know, our investigator has the opportunity to um, intervene with questions of his or her own. In this particular case, uh, we assigned uh, uh, our veteran investigator. We have Alicia Jaramillo, and so she sat in through all the interviews. So again, we're, you know, we, we have an opportunity to ask independent questions, um, and we're compiling our own report as well as reviewing the reports of all law enforcement. And the process takes often uh, many months because, uh -huh. you know, you don't want to rush to any conclusions. Um, you know, I think the law enforcement process is that the officers, uh, any of the officers involved would be on administrative leave pending their initial investigation. Um, but again, ours is, you know, ours is separate and apart. And, uh, and, you know, if I had to speculate, which I don't want to, but, you know, I would say it could be four to six months before, you know, our report issues. I mean, if, if all the facts are in sooner, right. we'll review everything. And then as we have in, in prior cases over the years, um, uh, I believe very much in, in transparency and the public's right to know. So the report that we issue will be uh, issued publicly and will be on our website. And you know, I think in, in prior shootings, that report's uh, been anything from 10 to 30 pages long. And we'll you know, we'll go over the, the, the law that applies in these situations. We'll go over the facts as they were determined through, uh, the, you know, both investigations and, and ultimately our conclusions. Let me ask you this, and I don't know if you can answer this, but is there a, an additional level of, of scrutiny in this investigation, given that the officer that was involved was involved in a previous officer-involved shooting? Uh, not from our standpoint, Jeff, because we, we have to look at the facts as they are in this case. And, and we have to look, the, the law doesn't change. And what happened several years ago was a you know, different set of circumstances. Um, again, what law enforcement does independently on their own is not really uh, under our purview. But in terms of our analysis, uh, we, we strictly have to look at it by the letter of the law and the facts and, and really confined situation by situation. And finally, really on this issue, talk a little bit about the investigation after the interviews are done and everybody has talked to, what takes the, the lengthy process that you're talking about well, the three or four months? Just in terms of, you know, reports being written and, and, mm -hmm. and getting to us and stuff. I mean, 
you know, the world doesn't stop because this case happened. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and as, as, you know, we've already alluded to, uh, in fact, the world didn't stop. Many more things happened the next right. several days that, well, you know, uh, on some level they may not have been this magnitude, although certainly the, you know, the shooting in the vineyard was, was huge and had that, you know, had uh, Mr. Dahl, uh, the shooter, survived, we would have been looking at a potential special circumstances case. And even despite the fact that, that you know, both the victim and the and the, the shooter are deceased now. Um, law enforcement still has to pursue a full investigation on that to try to determine what happened, and some of the same officers are involved in that as well as some of the other incidents. So, um, you know, and then other things go on. So it's not like the officers, you know, there's a set number of officers involved right. in this, and they stop everything they're doing and do their reports and. And then we, you know, we need time to sort through everything and, and look at evidence. And because, again, we want to make sure that we're we've looked at everything possible before we reach our conclusions. I want to talk about the ongoing investigation with respect to the shooting in the vineyard, because, as you say, and as, as everyone knows, both the, the perpetrator and the victim are both no longer with us. Why the investigation? What is there to find out? What difference does it make at this point? Why do we need to really put those resources into investigating this right now? Well, I'm not sure I can totally answer that question because that's really more a frontline law enforcement uh, Mm -hmm. issue. I mean, we, again, the major crimes task force was called out. We had DA investigators involved and, and you know, the things that they did and, and, you know, trying to sort of paint the picture of what happened, um, they're not going to just suddenly not document what they did. And I, I can't really tell you why law enforcement does everything they do, but I can certainly tell you that they want to make sure that they did everything they could right. under the circumstances. And and I just don't think it's a generally a command decision to say, well, I understand that, you know, you interviewed certain people, but I don't want you to write any reports on that because, again, they... And what you about know, your office? Are they involved in any investigation uh, into that case? Uh, not not anymore. Again, right. we were we were, we were were involved uh, a little bit at the outset. I mean, the you know, things develop very quickly, as you know, sure. in that situation. And I really think uh, once it was determined that the, uh, the the shooter was was deceased and thereby no longer a threat I believe our folks pulled back and and so really of all the events of of the last week the only one that really has a lasting uh, impact on our office was the officer involved shooting unless it's determined that there was foul play involved in any of the other uh, bodies that were found well cer- it, certainly and the other right. thing you know going back for a second on the vineyard shooting I mean it at least what's released publicly and and certainly you know what i've learned in addition maybe things that weren't released is it it looks like it's isolated between these two people but again you never know if other people could be involved and i'm not saying anybody is in this case but again when you say why the investigation you know you want to make sure it, it it's everything it appears to be that this was you know one person who apparently had a you know vendetta and falling out with with an investor and and, you know, I think for both of their families, I think that they probably want to have a better idea of what happened, too, because I don't know a lot about our victim, but I'm assuming he, he had family. And, and right. certainly I understand that our shooter had uh, had a wife and younger children. And, and you know, the, the tragedy doesn't, doesn't end 
with simplicity. I mean, it affects a lot of people. So again, I think that well, certainly from the, from the business reporting on this story, there were a lot of people that were pretty angry at Dahl. So I mean, had had it not been clear how this thing played out, there could have been a lot of potential suspects in the case. I, I, I have heard that, and and certainly it didn't seem like he all of his businesses were conducted above board. And um, but again, that's that's kind of. Uh, a, a sad asterisk of the past right now, but that was just a, a, a terrible tragedy that certainly didn't need to happen. And, and uh, I mean, I'm certainly, uh, well, my heart goes out to, uh, you know, to our, our victim and his family. Um, I'm certainly grateful that nobody else uh, was injured uh, because of, you know, Mr. Dahl's activities, because certainly having just pretty much executed uh, his, his victim, as the police were arriving, um, certainly, you know, uh, different situation. The gun could have been turned on officers. Um, people could have been injured during the chase. I mean, a lot of things could have happened. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, the full extent was, was known pretty quickly. What about the other incidents last week? Is there anything we should be looking for there in terms of foul play or anything that, that you're aware of that, that we should know? Uh, well, that we can know. No, I think at this point, uh, both the cases I think are open investigations. I think autopsy results are still pending. Um, you know, certainly, I'm I'm sure one of the things that law enforcement will be looking at are any toxicology reports. And and well, you know, a toxicology report can't tell you how a substance got in someone's body if it's there. It's certainly you know something you want to know, and it's something I'd want to know before. You know, a conclusion has reached that there was foul play or no foul play. So I think those are, again, open investigations that will mm-hmm. take some time. And I, you know, I suspect law enforcement also be trying to do background as well on on people that may have known, you know, the the couple that were found deceased or the the, the man that was found deceased separately uh, over on Brown Street. And so right. it, it you know it may be several months in both of those cases before we really learn what happened. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you viewed and your office viewed all of these events together. I mean, certainly the general public was in shock in some ways with all of it that happened in such a short time. And as we said, these things, a lot of events like this happen. They just all happened in a very compressed period. But what was the view from from your office? Well, I mean, certainly you and I, you know, we've known each other a long time. I've been in the office 30 years and I've been, you know, my 17th year as elected. And I, I can't tell you I've seen a situation where we had what uh, six six uh, deceased persons in in five days that you know it just happened a flash and I you know from our standpoint is just information gathering because right you know the first we hear when when law enforcement first discovers you know our thought process is we may have a homicide and so we want to make sure that you know, we have investigators on scene. We want to make sure that we have uh, one of our lead attorneys involved f- from the outset. So we, you know, we'll, we'll often go to the scene and because we, we don't know anything yet either. And and sometimes there's, you know, a lot of critical things happen the first 24 to 48 hours after a body is discovered. So, you know, so our thought process at the time is, you know, we don't know what we have. Um, certainly in the, in the vineyard shooting, I mean, I was standing next to the car with my chief investigator because it was right around lunchtime and and my my uh, assistant da was there and we're all listening to the you know the dispatch as it's developing together because again we we knew as it developed that we we had a victim of a homicide and then we didn't know if we had a suspect and so we're you know we're thinking up until we find out that uh 
you know, it ended with him taking his own life that, uh, you know, we may have another major case in our hands. So, you know, and then we just kind of share the the sense of, quite frankly, shock of the rest of the, the community because it, you know, it, it isn't a common occurrence around here. <laughs> and and again, not. just to make sure that we get the word out to the public that this doesn't mean that, you know, Napa is suddenly the new Fairfield or or Oakland or anything like that, or Richmond or something. It's just, uh, it was just a weird, uh, a weird six days. The, the other side of all of this is all the things that happen mostly for law enforcement, day in and day out, and the kind of things that are not, some of them not dissimilar that, that they've had to deal with. It's just we don't hear all. I mean, suicides don't always get reported. We don't hear about these things, nor is there any reason for us to. This was just a unique concentration of events. Sure, and some of the events, I mean, uh, excepting probably the vineyard shooting, which appears to be motivated by you know, business dealings and, and money and greed or whatever, you know, lawsuits, whatever you want to call it. But uh, certainly there may be a common thread with several of the other cases uh, with, with some overtones of, of, you know, drug use or abuse and, and possible, again, just possible domestic violence in the, in the one case of the couple. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some of the issues we deal with and the officer-involved shooting, you know, the reason the officers were there was to serve a, a warrant on a, you know, narcotics case and report of, of a person having a gun who shouldn't have a gun. So, you know, those type of situations are situations that we we do deal with commonly. And I think of you, as you and I have talked before, if you really break down all of our cases over the course of a year, whether it's in our county or other counties, you know, across the state and country, I think you'll hear people say about 70 to 80 percent of most crime is related directly or indirectly to alcohol and drug use and abuse. And then if you, you know, if you toss in mental illness, you, you which overlaps uh, a lot of cases, you know, you have close to 100 percent of the cases. I mean, certainly there's there's other financial uh, incentives, but. You know, it's it's not just the things people do to steal money to support drug habits or alcohol habits. It's the things they do when they're drunk or high that that they wouldn't normally do when they're clean and sober. Talk a little bit in the, in the Alta Heights case. The the victim in that case had a long history of of really problems with law enforcement. Well, again, I can't comment beyond what's known publicly, but that that certainly uh, there were aspects of that that were released. Uh, you know, victim was was known to law enforcement. Um, he was somebody that. Uh, they they had a lawful warrant to to seek out and and, and to search because of of apparently you know reported uh, uh, carrying a gun and and possible narcotics and and again as was reported publicly when uh, apparently he he spotted law enforcement he he took off on his motorcycle and and then when when he apparently crashed a short time later didn't follow uh, commands to uh, you know to have his hands be seen and and again i'm just saying things that report publicly um and he did he did in fact have a have a loaded weapon so i mean those are that's a bad combination and and you know however the public wants to break it down i think a, a common theme here is you know law enforcement has a legal right to serve a warrant um if they believe a, a crime has happened or is about to happen with or without a warrant, they, they have a right to, to make lawful commands. And if you're a citizen, whether you think you're in the right or not, um, it's a pretty smart idea to not, not run and, and to, uh, to comply. Um, and, you know, you have to remember for an officer, 
it's a, you know, their decision in a split second is a difference between whether they come home to see their family at night. And that's, that's something that most of us can't comprehend. We just don't live in that world. I mean, I live on the edge of that world, obviously, because we, you know, we deal with law enforcement every day, but, you know, I don't, I don't carry a gun and risk getting shot at every day. And, and, uh, you know, these things happen, as I said, very quickly. And so, you know, when we're looking at it and trying to break it down, we, you know, we have to slow, you know, minutes and seconds into microseconds to kind of, you know, look each step of what did an officer see, what did they perceive, and based on what they saw or perceived, providing they had a lawful right to be where they were, um, did they act appropriately? And, and uh, you know, I think in a situation just hypothetically when an officer has a reason to believe that his life or other people's lives may be in danger and someone is, you know, uh, concealing their hands in an area where there there may be a gun or they they might see a gun, um, that's that's a very volatile situation. And uh, you know, as I say, the facts will come out publicly in this case over time, and and hopefully the public will understand whatever uh, the conclusions are. But you know, I think you have to look at each situation independently of the next. And right. you know, thankfully, I you know I think we have a really strong community and sense of community. I think that uh, law enforcement is very open with with different aspects of the community. My understanding was uh, the next morning, uh, several law enforcement leaders met with members of the Hispanic community just to answer whatever questions they could. And, you know, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't Ferguson, it wasn't New York. I mean, this was, uh, you know, a, a, a volatile situation that unfortunately ended tragically for you know, we're calling the person the victim, but somebody who didn't comply with lawful commands, at least on the surface of it. One of the things that's, that's interesting about it is that it doesn't have to be Ferguson or someplace like that for these things to really impact the community, to have a, create a great deal of, of concern within the community. Well, I mean, just listening to people out there that that, day, that afternoon, that, that evening, people were, were really... Uh, they're always confused when there's an officer-involved shooting, I guess is the point. Well, certainly. I mean, one of the – I mean, I heard it from my own mother who's who's 90 <laughs> years old and, and love her, but it's like, well, well, couldn't they just shoot the gun out of his hand? And it's like, well, okay, we're assuming a lot of facts potentially not in evidence, but, you know, the bottom line is when an officer uh, has to pull their duty weapon because, you know, they feel a situation is imminent danger – um, they're trained to, to end the danger as quickly as possible and as safely for people around. And, and you know, this isn't Hollywood. It's not sci-fi. Just and you don't, <laughs> you know, I just saw an old James Bond movie. He's probably, you know, 30 years old. And Bond is, you know, he's, people are chasing him on skis or something. And, and he's able to pull his gun out. And first the guy shoots the gun out of his hand. And then it's like a few feet away. And he's trying to get it with his ski pole. And the guy shoots it further away. And it's like, you know, that's, that's fantasy world. Right. And, and, you know, so it is, it is very hard to grasp. The, the, you know, the bigger thing is just, you know, people have a right to know, is everything above board? Is there something else going on? And, you know, I remember last year when they had the, you know, the tragic case over in Sonoma County and a 13-year-old boy was, you know, shot and killed. He had the facsimile, uh, you know, the handgun that looked right. like a real semi-automatic gun. And, and uh, you know, the paint that should have been there wasn't there and he didn't follow the commands. Uh, you know, people speculate whether he understood the language or not, but he was shot and killed. And people over here, you know, leadership in the Hispanic community wanted to, to meet with law enforcement leaders. And a number of us, uh, 
you know, had had multiple meetings and, and it wasn't, nobody was pointing fingers at anybody. It was just like, okay, well, could something like that happen here? And if it did, how would we handle it? And, and you know, I think one of the things that, that I really appreciate and respect about our community with both law enforcement and a lot of community leaders is that the lines of communication are open and they have been for several years. And now, you know, the citizen on the street may not understand that, um, but the reality is, yeah, people are willing to sit down and talk. And, and I think in some of these other areas, the distrust is so deep because there hasn't been communication. And if a community only comes together in, in a tragedy, you know, sort of a reaction mode, then, then that's potentially volatile. So I, I like the fact that, you know, immediately after when, when, you know, leaders in the Hispanic community ask for a conversation, you know, law enforcement leaders will absolutely, where do you want to meet, when? And so let's just be as open as we can with each other because um, I just, you know, I don't believe that that's our community. I mean, part of it is that these things are just so inherently polarizing. I mean, I guess that's the broader point from even being out there that evening is that as the story began to get out, more or less, you know, the general outline of what had happened, there were people there that were incredibly supportive of the police and sympathetic and understanding and all the things we're talking about, and then other people that were were not as happy with the situation. I mean, you could just feel the polarization right there in, in the moment. No, I mean, I can, I can appreciate that, but I, at the same time, I can't imagine anybody is happy with a situation where somebody ends up dead in the street. But, you know, uh, again, I think you have, you know, the people entrust um, their law enforcement uh, officers to to carry guns to and and to use them when they need to, to, to protect themselves and protect society. And then, you know, we're called upon to review that. Um, I believe in that process. I know there's been, you know, calls for legislation in Sacramento to, uh, you know, take, uh, take the independent, you know, take the review of, of law enforcement and shootings away from the district attorney and give it to the attorney general. And I can tell you, first of all, the attorney general doesn't want it. But, but And then, sec- of course, there's always talk about independent review in communities, and that comes up periodically. Well, yeah, you hear a citizen's review or right. something. But I think ultimately, somebody from a legal standpoint needs to make that review. And, and, and I believe in local accountability. I mean, I stand for for election every four years and um you know if you give it to the attorney general they don't stand for election other than you know a a fraction of one out of 58 counties in the in the state and they have a two-term limit anyway and i think um you know hopefully you trust your local leaders to do what they believe is right and and i've certainly been on record before not agreeing with everything law enforcement does and you know we've had to i mean Certainly, we haven't had it, fortunately, in an officer-involved situation, but we've had cases of, you know, a police officer, you know, committing a driving on the influence offense, a hit-and-run offense, a battery, and, and, you know, when necessary and, and called for, we've prosecuted police officers. And, um, you know, if, if that happened in a scenario, an officer involved, and, and that was appropriate, you know, we would, we would certainly do it. But, you know, we are, we are an independent branch of the government. And certainly we work closely with law enforcement, but um, I think it's, it's important that there be, a, there be an independence as well. And I think when I was first elected, then Sheriff Gary Simpson pointed out to me, he goes, you know, people might say, you know, I'm the top cop in the county, but actually you're the only one in the county, Gary, who has the legal authority to prosecute me for a crime. So 
you know, that's why they call you the chief law enforcement <laughs> officer. And, you know, so I think it's a healthy relationship. But, um, you know, we, we have a job to do, and we're, and we're going to always, uh, as, you know, prosecutor, as district attorney of the county, my office is always going to try to do what's right for the right reasons. And we just have a couple of minutes left, sure. but talk a little bit about any of the other things uh, outside of these six days that are, that are going sure. on in your office that we want to bring people up to date on. Well, the, the biggest, it's sort of a long-term uh, project right now, but something that I, I talked about uh, when I uh, took the office for my fifth term back in January, that I felt it was time for our county to have what's called a family justice center. And we're just in the very, the, the very beginning steps of this, but the idea is to have sort of a one-stop location for uh, all victims of family violence, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, um, elder abuse, you know, child abuse, but any violence that's perpetrated by or within the family to, so that, you know, a victim or, or family members who need counseling or support um, don't have to, you know, spend weeks or months trying to figure the system out and who can help them and, you know, make a police report in one place, then go another place to be examined, then go another place for counseling, another place for a hospital, you know, medical environment and um, we're not reinventing the wheel. I mean, some of the counties like uh, Alameda County, Sonoma County, uh, San Diego County have state-of-the-art centers, and it's uh, you know it's it's certainly a question of where and and how do you pay for it. But right. uh, I'm looking for a collaboration of uh, public and private, nonprofit, foundation, and hopefully, you know, within the next uh, you know one to three years, it's something that we can we can make happen so that, you know, when someone who's been victimized, they walk in the door, they can meet with a police officer, they can then be referred to the victim advocate from my office, they can, if it involves domestic violence, they can be referred to Napa Emergency Women's Shelter, they can be uh, referred to, um, you know, certain mental health organizations. Um, you know, we have a, a very small microcosm of that with our Courage Center, which is a multidisciplinary interview mm-hmm. center for children who've been uh, sexually abused and and that's in, in one location, so there can be a medical exam there, the interview there. So this is on a more global scale, so it's, that's something that I think is uh, exciting for the future of the community, and it's, I think it's been well-received from the people that I've talked to. And on a, on a much lighter note, uh, <laughs> on uh, this Wednesday, uh, so just uh, uh, we're sitting here on Monday afternoon uh, at the Boys and Girls Club, uh, 6 p.m. tip-off, we have the second annual big game between County of Napa and City of Napa and uh, basketball. basketball. And the, uh, I guess the one difference from last year is that Alf- uh, Alfredo Pedrosa switched teams Switch from the city <laughs> to the county. Uh, we have uh, County Supervisor Brad Wagon Connect will be playing. Um, uh, I'll be playing for the county. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a chance to come out and, and support your government officials on a much lighter note and, and workers as well as t- uh, it's a it's a fundraiser for Boys and Girls Club, so its donation is uh, ten dollars, and I think the the doors open at five thirty. So it's uh, you know life can't be all about talking about death no, all the time, Jeff. That's <laughs> right, and it's Wednesday night. Wednesday night, five five thirty. You said uh, five thirty. The the doors open. I believe tip off right. is scheduled for six, and uh, you know full court officials, uh, running halves, city league officials. So we have real officials and. Although last year I tried, I put up a three-point shot, and I think it would have gone in, except someone pulled my arm down. But everybody saw it, but the officials. So, um, 
but that's just the way it goes, right? Sometimes you get the call, sometimes you don't. <laughs> but anyway, it's a it's it'll be a it'll be a little lighter side of, uh, of what we do. So we we hope people will come out for that and. You know, otherwise, it's just uh, a lot of people working hard to uh, try to keep quality of life here in the county. And we should mention that you do have an office to go to. Again. We do. We well, that was yeah, that was an ordeal for all of us. But we were, you know, if the public had seen us, I think you would have been pretty pretty proud. I mean, we because we lost our office due to a, a, a we survived the earthquake and then we had a, a main water main break and right. flooded the office down at Crithers and. So for a month, our office and also Public Defender, we were both in the county library, and we had basically two meeting rooms, and our workspace was a laptop and a computer. And this happened on Sunday. By Monday midday, we had phones and computers up. You know, the courts opened the next day. We were all all there, and then we were in temporary quarters for several more months, and we're the, we're the first tenant to move back into Crithers, and over the next many months... Uh, uh, other departments will move back. We we still have our most of our investigation staff is uh, housing down at the sheriff's office until we get some more room. But it's uh, you know I got to tell you I mean uh, our community went through a lot, but I also think that there was uh, I'm really proud of the of the men and women in my office and how they they kept their focus and and uh, yeah so it's good to be back to our our home office. Well, indeed, it worked out. Napa County District Attorney Gary Lieberstein, I thank you so much for coming in and being here with us on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to see you in your new home again. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.